This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blah! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. When did the image of success become so shallow and cookie cutter? It's carefree entrepreneurship, sprawling homes, and curated aesthetics, all wrapped up in a simplified social media post rife with the latest buzzwords explaining how you're just one manifestation away from the life of your dreams. But building thriving businesses and positioning yourself as a leader in any industry has little to do with hitting these external validations and everything to do with cutting through the crap and getting to work. My name is James Patrick, and I'm an internationally published photographer, marketing strategist, and your host in this discussion. I've spent decades studying the mechanics of success so I could reverse engineer the process. Together, let's specifically define what success means to you and determine the steps to get you there. With real strategies, exclusive interviews, and game-changing ideas you can implement into your life and business. It's time to go beyond the facade, beyond the posturing, beyond the image to create real change personally and professionally. This is the Beyond the Image Podcast. My guest today is Ann Sieg. She's the founder of e-commerce business school. And how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. How are you doing? I am doing great. Excited to have this conversation with you. We were talking right before we started the recording about really why I was so looking forward to to being able to connect with you and to set the stage for listeners. So many of our listeners We've gone through such a interesting time of development and change and really just maturing of the industry that we're a part of. And we have people within the health and fitness space. We have a lot of people within the creative service space that are listeners as well. And with that, a a theme that's come up a lot is the need for us as entrepreneurs to diversify our income streams. And in fact, it's hard to really classify someone as an entrepreneur if all their eggs are in one basket. It's mm -hmm. it's more so they're, they're a business owner or they're an employee of a business that they started. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've seen a, a lot about, but I've never researched myself, was the ability to start a business selling on Amazon. And I've heard so many amazing success stories of individuals who have done this, but it's not something I've ever been able to look into myself. And this is your field of expertise. And so before we get into that, I would love to really just build some context. What was it that kind of led your interest into even exploring selling on Amazon? Well, it was precipitated in part a Google slap in 2009. So we had a digital marketing company. My son and I, our first ebook, we did $4 million in sales and just kind of as our intro, first we were selling someone else's product, a digital product. And my son was um, a very good um, Google AdWords uh, marketer and affiliate marketer. And then we joined forces. And so we were selling someone else's product, scaled that up and thought, I think we can get better margins if we do our own product. So we created a digital um, it was an ebook 
free ebook that led to a paid ebook and did had about 450,000 subscribers through that list at that time, which was pretty much 2000, 2008. All going good so far at that point. And then it was in 2009, we got the infamous Google slap, which is basically this. So what brought me online in the first place is speaking of health and awareness, health and wellness. That is what I was selling through a network marketing company. That was kind of my gauntlet, if you will, in the offline world. Then when I switched to the online world, everything changed for the better. Absolutely for the better. Best thing I ever did, that was 18 years ago, was to, in fact, it was my son who said, Mom, you got to go online. <laughs> Best thing I ever did. So we got the, the Google slap, and that was because they don't like certain kind of marketers on their platform. And furthermore, they did uh, boot off 10,000 um, direct response marketers during this big infamous Google slap. And then we got the Facebook slap after we had shifted to that. We thought we'll be over here. And we were getting slapped around. So basically, a lot of entrepreneurialism is driven by sometimes action, reaction. And you go, oh, oh, well, this isn't too pleasant. And I think I need to find a way to shift, which it sounds like some of your viewers. And that's normal. Uh, we used to be in real estate. We used to have a windshield business. I mean, that is the essence of being an entrepreneur is learning how to shift because shift happens. And so anyways, we're like, all righty, the online space doesn't really like network marketers, MLMers so much. So, you know, so then what happened is I got introduced back into e-commerce because my boys had done eBay when they were in junior high and high school. And I, I went to homeschool for 12 years. So that was a big part of our household is, well, mom and pop are running businesses. Kids, you're going to grow up and learn how to do businesses too. That's how this family rocks and rolls. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so it was really natural for them. The eldest son led the junior high son. Hey, let's do eBay. And mom, you get to drive Rob so he can drop off the shipments. So that was kind of, we had already done that, um, you know, back, this is um, about 20 years ago or better, um, <laughs> 25 years ago. And, um, but it was good because by teaching my kids how to do that and make it an open platform to learn how to do business, They've all worked in my business since that time. So um, so we were reintroduced back into e-commerce in 2013. I told my husband, I said, I think, I think you could do this because there's such little tech involved. And so then he starts making money. And I had an inner circle community at this point. I was teaching how to build online sales funnels. And I thought, you know, that is so much work. And learning how to brand yourself and attraction marketing. And, you know... Here, the marketing's already been done, and they just have to know how to find the products. And so I introduced that on New Year's Eve day of 2013. They all joined me in that program, and away we went. And it's like, you know, this is a lot more fun. Mm -hmm. So I'm basically, my um, calling, my finesse is building mentorship communities with a real emphasis on community. Um, I was a athlete and I was a sports coach for 12 years and I had my own team of coaches that I groomed up etc so I love building communities so anyways we made our shift and that's almost 10 years ago and basically the sum of it is well Amazon is the sales funnel you don't do the marketing and advertising albeit with certain sourcing methods within Amazon you do have to learn sponsored ads well, it doesn't go away completely, but we, we started members with a particular sourcing method with advertising as a 
non-issue. You don't have to fight to get onto the first page to catch the eyeballs and all this kind of a thing. So it's been 10 years and it's uh, longevity, 20, 30 years, 50 years. It's so there that now my son, who has my business partner for 10 years, has now since come back into the company after a six-year hiatus. As I began to share the living vision of the company, I'm like, you know, this is so deep. And so like we can throw down an anchor, not just for me to have for retirement, but this can go on into my children because all three of them have worked in the business. It's very, very exciting and empowering. And so Amazon is like a gauntlet into the e-commerce space and it's the best place to start. Mm. There are a couple of things that I think I want to uh, unpack a little bit. The first, <clears throat> I love how your sons encouraged you by saying, you know, mom, you got to go online. Meanwhile, my sister and I are trying to do everything in our power to keep our parents off the internet. Oh, it, really? It is, oh, yeah. It is the <laughs> most anxiety producing thing. Every time we have a conversation with them, and they tell us, well, oh. I got an email that <laughs> I, I clicked a link and uh, I don't know what to do now. I'm so oh, oh, God. That's painful. That's it painful. Is, it is just yeah. exhausting. Um, yes, but the other is. thing, and actually the more serious thing is you, you said that there's no, there's little tech involved in this or little understanding of tech involved to, to get started in this. And that's kind of one of the biggest barriers or fears. It's like, I don't really want to get into e-commerce. It seems like I would have to learn a lot of the tech side of it. I'm not a tech person. I hear that all the time. You know, I can't succeed in marketing. I can't succeed yeah. in selling. I can't succeed in having an online brand or business because I'm just not good at the tech side. And mm -hmm. so with that being said, I'm curious what other misconceptions might individuals have about even broaching into this space? Because my guess is there might be a few more. Um, well, time, legitimately, mm. um, cost, you know, <clears throat> and that's what people rightly ask because they're trying to determine when I make this shift, I have to size up the risk, you know, am I going to have things stacked up in my favor? And so they're very legitimate questions. Um, the tech one, I mean, when I came online, I was obsolete horrible and dreadful, but I embraced it. You know, it's like, it's, it's 2020, or I'm sorry, 2022, mm -hmm. you know, like there's no escaping it. And we just have to set that aside, go get some classes at a local, every city, every town has these kind of computer support classes. And, and I mean, I can say that because I did go through the grind where my kids were younger in the house and I could say, Hey, Rob, come here. I need your help again. And, you know, okay, mom, doo -doo -doo, and then he'd show me, I'd say, slow down, slow down, slow down, do it again. You know, so, but I knew what drove me through that is um, I knew what I wanted to accomplish was, which was to get my husband home. And I've always accepted the fact that I'm going to have to build skills in order to cross a bridge, which was courtesy of reading Robert Kiyosaki. It was just, you're going to have to do some skill building. So that's just that's the reality um but referring to the tech i mean there you definitely it's online there's some methods that are less needy for having to have the higher tech skills but it's just kind of the grown-up world it's it's if you really want to have that flexibility that people so crave and desire you just need to embrace it and just go get some support classes they have they have those in every city and libraries and whatnot um but yeah like time money and um, skills. I would mm -hmm. say those are the, the factors to consider. 
when it comes to financial investment, time investment, so we're thinking about now what I'm investing in order to to, to have a, a chance of a return. Mm-hmm. Um, is it are are these legitimate concerns? Is it legitimate for people to be worried? Well, there's I don't and I don't know. Is, is right. there is there a significant startup cost or is there a significant time investment that that people are worried about that actually exists or is is it a misperception? Oh no, they exist. And <clears throat> the qualifier is it always begins with what you bring to the table. And so there's no uniformity or standardization amongst all the listeners who are listening right now. But curiously enough, so I attract more people from the healthcare industry than any industry by a landslide, not necessarily health and wellness, but nurses specifically. Hmm. And I think it's because of COVID fatigue on their job positions that has just worn them thin and they're over it. And so they're looking to shift. Curiously, our healthcare workers do so well. So then I go, why? And they're working 12 hour night shifts, okay? So I go, why is it that someone working a 12 hour night shift, three little kids comes in and crushes it? And and then I have an ER nurse and then I've got an information nurse and and I think they're detail and data oriented is part of it. Um, I think they're also disciplined because they've been through post-secondary education and they know how to go through training. That's a factor. You know, some people, they want to just step in and have instant success when, no, it's actually going to take really thorough training so you don't lose your shirt on Amazon. Not having a clue of what you're doing, being starry-eyed, this is the land of riches. It's going to come down to knowing how to do a high-level specificity of tasks. Your tasks have to be done very specifically because you are going to be investing money into products that you flip and sell on Amazon. But I'll just say it really varies from individual to individual. Why do the healthcare workers do so well? Again, I get attributed to the education piece that they're used to being mentally disciplined that way. And I guess they really know how to manage their time. Now, can I say that carte blanche, that's going to be true for everybody? Not a chance. Some people have great mental focus and others simply don't. You know, and so we actually just did a training uh, this past Saturday, and it's kind of the three. I don't want to rattle off the whole makeup of that training, but it kind of runs into these four different archetypes of of what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. And out of that, there's these four archetypes, which I didn't put on the training. I co-hosted it, so I can't even rattle it back. But the main point being, when you know what your archetype is and what your um deficiencies are and you can see well yeah my my tendency is I'm the warrior type so that's what they label one of the architects they got to look in every nook and cranny and unfold every uh, possibility of why this might not work for them and there's no end to it they got to open every trap door and there's just very little a sense of confidence that something could work because mostly they're driven by a lot of internal self-doubt but so the mental makeup is bar none the biggest component of whether they will be successful or not. I'm just seeing it curiously enough that the folks from the healthcare industry really do really well. Now, maybe it's driven by the fact that they want to just get out of their current jobs that is driving them. 
but they're very bright and intelligent too. So I think that's a part of it. So, um, and we always do a one-on-one. We want to converse with the person, find out their makeup, et cetera. Because quite frankly, it's not a fit for everybody. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. And when we work with our members, we want to ensure that it's going to be a good working win-win relationship because we provide mentorship. And some folks just really aren't wired for it. Um, but if your folks are entrepreneurs, that in itself is that you understand the need to bootstrap. And if it is to be, it's up to me. And it's really true. You will be either your your greatest demise or your greatest hero. It's one of the two. And I think so many of us, we, I think innately know where we fall on that archetype scale. Like myself, I am very, very detail oriented. And I may know people who aren't. And hearing that gives me a lot of excitement. I'm like, okay. All right. I, I love details. I can handle details. Yeah. All right. So this, and, and to know that there are people who are working significant careers and jobs, like, you know, yeah. nurses and ER doctors, oh, yeah. 12 hour shifts who are still mm-hmm. making time oh, for yeah. this, mm-hmm. that right there also, you know, cause I, I currently, I manage 10 different businesses. So I have a lot on my plate right now. So, so what I invest my time in is very specific. And mm-hmm. I have to be very careful about that. So it, it's good to hear that there mm-hmm. is a trade-off on, on reward for investment of time. So, you know, and, and just using broad, broad concepts, what could someone theoretically look at in regards to terms of success? Like what are some mm-hmm. of the milestones and or achievements that mm-hmm. you've seen people, people earn? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, to have to create a framework of what it looks like to be what's called a third party seller on Amazon. Now, Amazon itself is a massive ecosystem of many, many different ways to make money, and they continue to expand that. So I'm focusing primarily on what's called the third party seller platform, just to be clear, because people hear about Amazon video and oh, Amazon ebooks and there's Kindle and there's oh, make it, doing T-shirts. You know, there's a, a myriad of ways. So what we have taught is over the last 10 years is solely on the third party seller platform. And so what that means is uh, what will happen there is you have two main buckets, if you will, that you can fall into. One is merchant fulfilled is the status. And that means you're going to fulfill in those orders and you're going to be shipping to the customer. We primarily teach FBA, which means fulfillment by Amazon. And the reason we do fulfillment by Amazon is what we're looking for in business is leverage. We're, We're always looking for that competitive advantage Leverage, leverage, leverage. So number one, they've done the marketing and the advertising. They've got this beautiful, gorgeous customer base with multiple credit cards in the system. I'm prime. I'm going to guess you're prime. And I got multiple credit cards sitting in that system. And when I go there, I go to buy. So FBA is decidedly very different for the reason that you are going to be positioned right smack dab in front of the other people. Are on, there's two people on the side of cash register. There's the shoppers, and it's the prime shoppers who drive the majority of sales on Amazon. So prime shoppers want to buy prime products. And prime products means those that are sitting in the Amazon warehouse, and there's a guarantee of two-day delivery. Mm -hmm. So what that means for us, the sellers who sit on the other side of the crash register, in other words, there's the prime buyer who's shopping, 
with a 58% likelihood they're buying from a third-party seller. Okay, mm. We make up two-thirds of the volume of sales on Amazon. They did $610 billion last year, I believe is a stat. We did two-thirds of that. Of that's six hundred ten billion, okay, and we only need a little slice. We'll do just a little slice. Pull that out of that six hundred ten billion. Granted, that's sales profits. A different conversation. Um, so, as third party sellers, we encourage FBA, which means you're going to have to get your products into the Amazon warehouse. All right. So here's how it looks um, logistically: is first you have to get your Amazon account set up. You have to be approved. We have a training just for doing that part, and here's why. A lot of um, fake uh, sellers came in from China, and they they mucked up the water, and Amazon doesn't take kindly to any of those shenanigans. So they made it, they kind of raised the bar, and you have to jump through a few more hoops and just prove that you are who you say you are. You're going to show up on camera. They're going to verify. You know, we're in the day and age that there's a lot of lot of fraud going on you know the mm -hmm. banks raise their ante so does amazon so anyways once you get your amazon seller account set up then we always always without exception start people on the absolute fastest most reliable and dependable method of sourcing which is called arbitrage retail arbitrage specifically so if you start to go out online and you're going to start to search this i'm going to give a big global picture so people don't con get confused you're going to run into a lot of um, gurus who one guy is the king of private label. You have the queen of wholesale. And you're going to run into all these people who are an expert on the respective sourcing method. And you're going to slip into the sales copy and this and that. And then you go, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to start a private label business on Amazon. Well, you have just jumped into the deep end of the pool, but you don't know that. In other words, your level of risk has just gone way, way high. Like it might take nine months before you can get a product into the Amazon warehouse. So I liken it to a swimming pool. So most parents start their kids in the shallow end of the pool where it's mm -hmm. safest and the greatest likelihood for them to learn how to swim. They don't take them off over to the deep end and drop them off the diving end, the you know diving board. And the same is true in business. But when you don't have a frame of context, you don't know, you didn't even know that there was a difference. You, you know nothing. Right. And you go, well, this looks good. This guy's got his big success. Story. I think I'll go this route. All right. So we have taught all those methods, but we always start with arbitrage. Arbitrage, the benefit there is you're only selling what is already selling. And that's mm -hmm. the complete difference. The others are, I'm not going to call it speculation, but you have to use a lot. You got to know keywords. You got to know your competition. And you might have to test 50 products against each other if you're lucky and one succeeds and takes off. Okay. You're in the deep, deep end of the swimming pool. Mm -hmm. But you probably don't have any business being there unless you're very highly skilled at marketing and advertising, quite frankly. Everything involved with marketing and advertising. So with arbitrage, you don't have to know a lick about any of that, about marketing and advertising. You're just essentially a product flipper. So be it. That's fine, as long as it makes you money. So you can realistically be selling and making profit in your first 30 days. It's not at all uncommon with retail arbitrage. So you do that in two fashions. When you go to local star stores, you use an, an app on your phone to scan the products. You'll instantly have the data in a microsecond. You put in the cost of the product as it's sitting on that retail shelf, and you're instantly going to know 
What's the competition? What are the Amazon FBA fees? Um, what's going to be my profit? Amazon actually wants you to know that stuff. So you're not being a silly seller shipping and stuff that just sits in their warehouse. And then they're going to start charging you for long-term storage fees. They want you to be a highly competent sourcing person. So, so you can do it local. That's the fastest way bar none. And then the second is you can do online arbitrage. And this is, by the way, you're buying from a local store and you're flipping and selling on Amazon. I've done tons of it. It's a little bit addicting. And so people think of it as a side hustle initially and they go, oh, this is getting interesting. I think maybe I can grow this to cover the mortgage. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that, that's interesting. Maybe it can take over this and take over that. So it's, um, but I'm going to say this much. To me, in every industry, I'm a very data-driven person. Um, whoever wins the game is those who know the right data points, the most important data points, and how to evaluate those data points. That's what we teach. So if you want to play footloose and fancy free and list a bunch of cute things that you think are going to sell, that's that's not how it works in the Amazon marketplace. It's really knowing about the data points and then knowing how to best interpret them to know if you've got a good product or not. It's the most important skill on Amazon. So before we get into the data points, because I do want to address that, can you run through an example of like a simplified example of what this would look like, like someone who goes in, they set up their seller account, they get approved mm -hmm. and they, they want to begin this process of uh, retail arbitrage. Um, like what sort of local store are they going to like, what's a product, like just a simple product that, that they could be sourcing and mm -hmm. like, just kind of walk through those steps just to paint that picture for listeners. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say it's predicated on proper training. Okay. That being said, so once you get that app, you're, well, first of all, your account, then the app, you're basically going to be scanning with your phone camera mm -hmm. and you're going to be scanning the UPC code. So this is a very, everyone's going to know this brand if they're, they're new, you know, yeah, first piece. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. And that, and by the way, this is not profitable on Amazon. I've already checked <laughs> <laughs> when I source from say Walgreens and whatever, but anyway, so that's the barcode. And so you scan it and you can start in your house for practice. You know, and then you're going to put in the data point of, well, I paid $7 for it, you know, and then it's going to draw from the Amazon catalog and pull up that data like that. If it doesn't pull up the data, it means it's not selling on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Okay, move on because mm -hmm. we're only selling what is already selling. Exactly. So so once you have done that scan and you I, I buy these from Amazon, by the way, <laughs> and because it's it's faster and better through Amazon than Walgreens. In fact, I can't find them here, the right colors I want but locally. I can't find them, so I go on Amazon. Um, anyways, so you're going to look at all the numbers as you scan this product. Then we give our members a little cheat sheet thing that they can take with them because there's a few other criteria beyond what the Amazon app will reveal to you. But they reveal the most important data points in the five well, number no, number one is profit, obviously, and otherwise you move on. The second one is rank. Mm. Rank has to do with sales velocity, meaning is it in the 1% of that category 
which is going to vary from category to category because there's a different volume in toys, for example, than volume of products in kitchen and household. And so that top 1%, you're going to know that data. And you're also going to know how many other sellers, because that's right. People say, whoa, whoa, hang on. What about competition, Ann? Well, of course, what about competition? That's a very critical data point. If it's showing 30, I'm going to pass. If it's less than 10, and depending on the velocity and other important criteria, I'll go, yeah, no, it's going to go in the cart. I'm good. And when you get proficient at this, you, you can size up the, the data very quickly. Very quickly. And that takes time, of course, because you're training your brain as with anything. But when you first do it, you're kind of going a little slow. Yep, I'm checking, I'm checking. Okay, here I go. And so then you buy the product and then you're going to have to ship it in per Amazon specifications to the warehouse. Mm -hmm. That's basically it in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the volume of what you buy the product might shift depending on what you think the profitability could be and how many units you think you could be selling. This is an excellent point. So with arbitrage, you are mitigating your risk by selling wide versus deep. Mm -hmm. And so deep is risky because here's the thing. We're in Q4 right now during this re uh, recording. A Q4 is highly, there's massive sales velocity going on, especially Black Friday, Cyber Monday coming up. Yep. It's It just goes off the charts. And so the metrics that you saw when you first bought it starts going crazy, crazy, crazy. There's a software to help accommodate that. It's called a repricer. And the repricer, when you set the parameters, is going to help protect your product from losing money because you got you got money. You're banking on this little puppy to bring you back profit. And so it's going to work through this as it goes up, 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 up. Owen's coming down here. The repricer is going to protect so you don't lose money. And it also, it's going to bump up. Oh, it's rising. Your price, the repricer will automatically start repricing it higher. So you don't have to manually go in you know, and fuss with your store because you, you don't have enough time in the day to do that, especially during Q4 mm -hmm. and when you have a lot of products. But to your point, buy wide, especially as a new person. Now I've had it where my husband will send me a screenshot. What do you think? And I look at it, I say, yeah, buy them all. There's 120. Mm -hmm. You don't do that at the beginning. You don't have enough, you know, experience, but it can get to that. And they did, they just flew like hotcakes. Oh, are there any more? No, Anna, I cleaned them all off the shelves. <laughs> so it can be, it can be pretty fun. Um, it was a little kid's dive stick that you throw in a swimming pool and they dive down. Mm, okay. It was Disney. You, you just never know when you're scanning. We always have a saying, never judge a product by its cover. Mm. You just don't know. It could be the ugliest product you ever saw. It doesn't matter. Just it's go by the selling, number. It's selling. That's right. That's interesting. So this is a different approach than let's say acquiring products wholesale. Yes. Um, yep. Now, is that something that is something you advocate as well for people who have more experience or? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So yeah. that is, that is another viable. Approach. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Our recommendation. So we made a significant shift three years ago. So we've taught you know, almost 9,000 students. So we're constantly studying our student body and go, well, what's, okay, how can we improve success? And the one was when we saw 
the proverbial um, emails revisited from Michael Gerber, where mm-hmm. they come in and they end up wearing all these hats, right? And they, they don't know when to offset it. And so what we found is they were getting overwhelmed by not knowing when to offset work. So now we come in starting on day one. Hey, if you want a scalable income, just come in with this understanding and premise. You will need to outsource. And so we teach them to source from the uh, Philippines. And so <clears throat> that's really where you gain the scale. It's not going to be under one cranium. I'm holding on fast to all. You know, so at ours, we have the three pillars of e-commerce success. So it's to generate the cash flow. You're going to automate systems, get systems and people in place to help run those for you. And then you're going to build assets through that process. Um, and so I'm trying to remember to your question. Um what was your original question? The, the difference between purchasing things one-off at the beginning locally versus, versus the wholesale. wholesale. Yeah. So by starting with the arbitrage, you get into cash flow proof of concept. Mm-hmm. And through that process, you're going to start building a team. Now you're going to be more prepared to go into wholesale, which has different software, different systems. Every single sourcing method is a specialty onto itself. Mm. There is a level of universal uh, that there's universal concepts, you know, your profit, your spreadsheets, all this kind of thing. But the way in which you find your products is going to be different and require a different system. That makes sense. When it comes to positioning, like, you know, someone's taking their first crack at this and, you know, let's just say it's, um, I don't know, this this cup right here. Mm-hmm. Um, what are ways that individuals, so they set up their seller account, can mm-hmm. actually rank as the as the default mm-hmm. option for someone purchasing? You know, because, you know, when I go to purchase something, I select prime only. It's going to give me a yeah. default option. Now, that default option may not even be the best priced option. Well, let's talk about that one. Yes, please. <laughs> You're thinking in the right way. So what we're referring to is the Amazon buy box. All right. Mm-hmm. So the way it works is there might be nine sellers. They are going to rotate essentially equally through that buy box because people say, well, wait a minute, Ian, I'm, I'm, I'm brand new. How am I going to compete against Joe, Mr. Superman, uh, Amazon seller who's got this high rank in his store? It's a moot point when it comes to the buy box and rotating that through there as you're basically a supplier to a listing. Now, to be clear, they are doing metrics. I mean, they have AI. This is an insanely advanced system that Amazon has. There are parameters they're tracking with you as a seller. And if you're a naughty seller, for example, if you don't answer an email from a customer within 24 hours, you're going to get a bad mark. Why? Because their main motto for Amazon is it's it's all about the customer. So if you can adapt an Amazon um, mindset, which is they're going to treat their people premium and you have to think in that way. And that's what I love about Amazon in terms of training you to be a good e-commerce seller when you move above and beyond. They're going to train you to be an awesome seller. So basically, you're going to rate, rotate through the buy box. And the only thing that could hurt your rotation is if you're an Audi seller and you're not doing things to the level that Amazon will expect you to be at. And we always follow Amazon's terms of service. So that you might get a ding 
I had it once and I knew strategically how to overcome it. I hard lesson learned, it wasn't the end of the world, but you just have to maintain a good seller status. And there's no differentiation between Mr. Hotshot and Mrs. Newbie going through that buy box. Mm, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I've noticed that because um, I, I sell my books on Amazon, uh, you know, just leveraging the Amazon publisher platform. But me as a seller, you know, my books, mm -hmm. um, I'm not always the default option on on what someone's selling. So it's interesting to know that that's something that that auto rotates. Now, I know something that can impact sales are reviews. Because oh, uh, yes. it's not just reviews on products, it's reviews on the seller of said products. Now, yes. Amazon does not provide uh, consumer data uh, to sellers. Uh, that is something that they, they keep very protected. But what are ways that sellers can engage consumers without getting their information, of course, to solicit these reviews to help build well, that online credibility? It becomes a moot point for the um, arbitrage folks because you one of our criteria is exactly that. It's the reviews. It's more so the star ratings. We, we, we take into account both. Okay. Those are elements of um, very critical data. So if it's a three, no. Why? Because there's a likelihood it's going to get returned. So it becomes a moot point for uh, it's once your product is there. But if you ignore that data point that we teach people, don't ignore that data point. It's too important. You know, three means there's a, there's been, you know, people aren't happy. You want a four or a five. Otherwise, you know, that is going to impact you. So beyond that, you wouldn't, you don't even need to put in the energy to try to beef that up. And I will tell you this, there was a lot of monkey business going on about six, seven years ago. Fake. This is very common. Oh, I'm going to do a private, you know, private label product launch. And then you get a bunch of people that you're paying or incentivizing to give you positive reviews. Amazon, they'll catch you. That catch you on any kind of fancy tricks that this is what people do. And you don't ever, ever want to go beyond their terms of service because you, you could lose your account. I don't say that to scare people. It's just they don't want fake shenanigans. And the main mm -hmm. reason is this. It needs to be deemed a trustworthy place to go for us as shoppers and whereas this is what was happening a few years ago, they're pumping up the reviews with, hey, you know, hey, family and friends, hey, you know, do a favor for me. And then what does that dilute? Shopper confidence. Mm -hmm. And Amazon can ill afford that. So, um, but more to the point is that for the arbitrage folks, you don't have to worry about that. There are some strategies once you move into the more advanced on how to do that. For example, you might have an insert in there with your product and this I've is legitimate. That. That's right. And I'm going mm -hmm. clever dog because I'm a marketer and it's like they have their own little deal and you can go to their website because they know they're using Amazon as a traffic source. Mm -hmm. People with private label now have their own website. They're, they're hooking up their wagon to Amazon to get traffic. But I'm going to tell you, when you get to that level, you never want to be totally reliant. Back up to your backup that you talked about earlier. So with your private label, you want your own website. Amazon is a traffic source. Mm -hmm. And then you go and you build your next traffic source. I'm huge about that. I'm a traffic source person. And so it's like, okay, now I'm going to go to Facebook and now I'm going to go to Instagram. 
you know, that's how you create security and longevity in the online spaces. You have to have, you have to have backups. What I like about this, you know, zooming out is just how scalable this can be. Um, one could start and develop a proof of concept with a single item. Hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, and then, and, and then bridge off of that. Now, I don't. Re I'd say you have to get really solid footing first because there's learning the whole Amazon ecosystem. It's a marketplace onto its own. Mm -hmm. It's not like eBay. It's not fa Facebook Marketplace, Etsy, Taobao over in China, etc. It's an it's its own animal, and so it takes time to learn. And then once you get your legs underneath you, yes. Because I thought about that with these dive sticks. I, you know, I'm going, hmm. So maybe there's other dive sticks that kids will like beyond having it being Disney branded. I didn't end up going that route because you got to do the whole cost benefit analysis of that. And I wasn't at that level to do that with product development at that time. I thought, no, I see the writing on the wall already. I know how to do scope or project, et cetera. That's a big project and more filled with risk than what I was what I could see conversely, what it was in front of me immediately to gain an income. So it's something that you would really want to know the full scope of approaching a project like that for risk mitigation and know, well, it's always that cost benefit. Am I better off sticking here? This steady mm -hmm. printing. So I'll tell you, for example, all our coaches, they started with arbitrage and evolved into all the other methods. Mm -hmm. uh, print on demand, liquidation, trade show sourcing, Shopify, Etsy, you name it. They all still continue to do arbitrage. Is, is it just because of, of the, the clarity in data? Yeah, it's the cash cow. Who's going to kill mm -hmm. their cash cow mm -hmm. when it's so steady and, and reliable consistently 10 years out? Once it's, you understand the data. Right. And it's the one that you have the most data on converse to any other subsequent method. So it's just, so they can, that's kind of like their base and then, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, bridge out to print on demand, but this is their steady cash flow base that helps fund everything else. I love that. This has been absolutely enlightening and where can listeners go to learn more about you as well as the e-commerce business school so they can they can uh, perhaps get their feet wet in this mm -hmm. in this what did you say six point something billion dollar pool 610 billion last oh, year 610 for i was i was only 100x off 610 yeah. billion dollar <laughs> yeah. pool yeah. where can where can listeners go to connect well if you type in my name it's going to redirect to e-commerce business school so on, online to, you know, if you type in ANSIG, it'll go right to my e-commerce business school homepage. There's a lot of resources there. We have a very vast blog. We've got a community page, et cetera. Um, we have our e-commerce business school page and group pages, a free group page, for example. Just look us up on Facebook. Uh, I mean, people could reach out to me through social media. Um, I don't have a web. I just, I've, I've shifted all my focus to this. I used to be kind of the this guru in the attraction marketing space. It's like, nope, I'm I'm all in e-commerce at this point. This is what I do. This is where I'm 20, 30 years out, legacy business here. So ecommercebusinessschool.com, there's a lot of resources. Uh, you are able to get on the phone and talk to an advisor. I'm a, one of the advisors. We've got a whole team of folks. And just 
you know, find out if it's going to be a good fit for you to make this kind of a shift. I love it. Uh, and thank you so much. We're going to make sure those, those links are in the show notes and just want to uh, extend my appreciation for you taking the time to jump on and share this. Oh, it's been fun. My pleasure. It is a great and wonderful world of e-commerce. I love it. Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond the Image podcast. Please follow, like, and review wherever you happen to listen to the show. And if you want to connect to me, you can find me at jamespatrick.com, Instagram at jpatrickphoto, or you can text me any of your marketing questions to 480-605-3254. Thanks again. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.